Good morning. It's great to see all of you today. Hope you're having a great day. Is that rain? Daggummit, man. My goodness gracious. Charleston is just amazing, isn't it? Just constantly changing. We'll use the word amazing. Let's go with that. So we welcome you here today. And let me just start it off. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what you think you're normally going to get at church, it all starts with grace and peace from God our Father. And for a lot of us, that may be something new to think that God doesn't want to hurt us, that God's not here to beat us up, but he just wants us to know that we're here today and he wants to give you some grace and peace. And as we begin to talk about what we're going to talk about today, because today will be kind of a little bit intrusive, it will, it will get into your business a little bit, um, that, that know this, that God wants you to flourish he wants you to experience life. He wants you to experience his best in your life. And so today we're going to be continuing our series called Lit. And we're looking at this idea of always responding to chaos in our lives. That we're all busy doing stuff. We all got jobs. We all got family, friends. We've got houses. We've got cars. Uh, we've got all kinds of things. I felt like I was about to spring into a song from Little Mermaid there. Um, but uh, we've got all this different stuff there, and we, we got to get the kids to school on time, then we got soccer practice, and we've got to get over here, and you got to do your aerobic workout thing, and then you got to build this, and all of it, we end up running our lives and doing life, but we, there's a sense of chaos about it, and, and we're, lear- we're learning about establishing kind of a rule of life, a, um, an intentional, conscious plan to make sure that the, the plan of God, the fulfillment of God, um, the love of God, the wisdom of God is in everything that we do. Because otherwise, life happens just like the gutters are functioning, hopefully right now in this building. The life happens, it rolls into them, it hits the roof, it rolls right off, it goes into the gutter system and it goes out into the ditches. And sometimes life can happen just like that, that it just happens and then before you know it, it just runs away. So we're going to be talking about this idea of establishing some sense of plan for our lives so that we don't live in response to managed mayhem, that we're always trying to put out a fire, we're always trying to get there, we're always trying to make ends meet, we're always just one step away from being totally in chaos. So the Apostle Paul talks to a group of believers like us, and he makes a really... uh, an intentional statement to them. And I think he's making it to us. It comes to us from Ephesians chapter five. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk. And he's talking about this idea of giving thought to how you're doing stuff. Like think about how you dating. How are you dating. How are you eating? How are you treating your body? How are you managing your money, how are you? I mean, he's like, give some thought to this. Don't just go through the motions. Don't let your life just be water running through a gutter, but rather give some thought to it. He says, do not be unwise men, but as wise men, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Begin to think about, understand what is the plan of God for your marriage? for your career, for your bedtime, for your TV viewing, for begin to think about, instead of just going through things, 
begin to add a rule of intentionality to your life. And so we've been talking about this idea of um, living life with a, with a trellis system. And a lot of us have seen trellises before, and you grow things on them. Things are going to grow in your yard regardless, but a trellis is a framework by which something can grow healthy, something can grow flourishing, something can grow beautiful. And so we're talking about creating this trellis, and we're using kind of a churchy word. It's the word liturgy, and that's where we get the name lit for our series from. And liturgies are, are nothing more than this. They are patterns of living that we repeat over and over again that follow the pattern of God's wisdom and his love. You know, you maybe have seen it in a formal sense. If you were raised Catholic like me, there would be this thing called the, the Eucharistic prayer. And the priest would read a prayer, and at this time you go down and you do this, and then you're up, and then you're, you know, genuflecting, you're saying this prayer. It was a form or a pattern. Now, some of those are good. Some of them maybe have lost a sense of real connectedness with God. But our lives do need a sense of liturgy, a sense of structure, a sense of intentionality, patterns of life that bring the life of God into what we're doing over and over again. See, we're all growing something. Everybody here is growing something. Either growing a, 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 you're growing a marriage, you're growing children, you're growing an addiction, you're growing a thought life, you're growing your enemies, you're growing a budget, you're growing a debt. You're grow- I mean, everyone here, there's nobody that's just neutral. Every one of us are growing something here. But the question is, is are the patterns of our growing bringing the flourishing of God or are they bringing destruction into our lives? I love this beautiful verse that comes out of Proverbs that really kind of, it's a proverb written by Solomon and he's like looking at this person's body of work and and what he owns, what he's doing with it. Let me read it to you. He says, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles its surface was, compl- uh, was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw, I reflected on it. I thought and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come on you as a robber, and your want like an armed man. And I was looking at that, and it was kind of this idea is that It's not that this person doesn't have resources, doesn't like this person doesn't have a job, this person doesn't have property or a house or, you know, an intelligence or, you know, so this is not a person without, this is a person that has something and his problem is it's not the wrong property, the problem is that he's a man lacking sense. Now, when we think of somebody lacking sense, we think of like the village idiot, you know, we just think of somebody who's just totally like lost out of their mind. But that's not what he's talking about. We're talking about somebody with resources, somebody with a mind like yours, somebody with a job like yours, somebody with potential like yours, but not having any sense to it, any construct, any coagulation of thought and intentionality to it. We're not bringing it together, not creating a trellis system by which something could grow. And he decides he's going to live his life without sense, without awareness, without a sense of uh, structure to it. 
And it says that he was overgrown with thistles and it was covered with nettles and the wall was broken down. See, there was nothing wrong with the wall. It wasn't like this was bad soil that you can't grow anything in. See, your marriage is gonna grow something. You really, every marriage here, every dating relationship here, every uh, parental relationship here, every friendship here, you're gonna grow something. Um, every one of us have the necessary structure or uh, tools of life. We can communicate, we can talk, we can see, we can work, we can do all these things, but we allow without sense, without a sense of structure, a sense of liturgy to our lives, that things begin to overgrow. The things that we grow are not what we want to grow. We end up growing bitterness. We end up growing envy and jealousy and, and anger in our lives or disappointment or anxiety. And then the wall is broken down. Any, any real meaningful definition, that's what the walls were for, as boundaries and definitions of life where we're totally lost. Why? Bad rocks? No. Bad ground? No. A man without sense. That's all it was. And so um, I'm willing to bet that you're not married to the wrong person. And you don't have bad kids, you know, and you're not in the wrong country. Uh, it is possible that the way that we're living out our lives and the difficulties that we're having with it is just because we lack sense, that we are not incorporating the wisdom and the love of God in this, this sense of liturgy, patterns of life. So putting liturgy into place or putting these patterns is very important. We talked last week about waking and that there's actually a pattern to waking. We all have a pattern of waking. You all did it today. You all got up and, you know, um, how many of you take your medicines first and then you brush your teeth? Can I see you? Anybody? Okay, anybody take, anybody take your medicines first and then you brush your teeth? Or wait a minute, that's the same one. How about if you, <laughs> apparently, uh, how about if you brush your teeth and then take your medicines? How many of those? Yeah, okay. See, see, some of us actually might have a pattern. Um, how many of when you get up, you go in, the, the first thing you do is turn on the shower to warm it up? Anybody got a pattern of doing that? Okay, you know, that's the first thing. Got to get that thing warm. Well, I mean, well, you don't want a cold shower. You got to warm it up. So that's the first thing you do. You go, everyone is, I have a pattern in the morning. This is how the morning goes. Susan wakes up. Um, and uh, she goes in, first thing turns on, I hear the shower turn on. When I hear the shower turn on, I get up, I roll out, I do my, my, my prayer moment like we talked about last week, and then I go downstairs. Then I go over to this little coffee pot thing, and I set the, uh, it to boil water at a 205 degrees. I put it on there, and then while that's getting to uh, a boil, um, I go over here to the grinder. I put a certain amount of coffee in the grinder. I grind the coffee. While that's grinding, I take the Chemex uh, glass thing, and then I put a filter, and I take it over, and I rinse the filter. While all that stuff going on, I, then I clean, or dump that out, and I go over, and I go to the stove, and I put it on. I turn it on just a little bit, just a little bit, because you don't want to burn it. Uh, and it's um, not Pyrex. So it, it do all this. And so by the time Susan walks down, usually I've made my first pour of the Chemex. And if you're a Chemex, how many people here, that's your liturgy, your morning liturgy? What are you, a bunch of Folgers people? I mean, what are you doing? There you go. I mean, folk, you know there's a better way to wake up in the morning, people. No. So uh, what you do with your, with your pour over, you have a little kettle and you pour it and you do a first shot. 
and you just do a little bit and then you let it bloom. You let your beans bloom and you'll see them bubbling and you'll see the little steam coming out and it's cracking the little particles of thing and they're letting a the flavor out. And then you spend another hour pouring the rest of the water over it. And then finally about 12 o'clock, you have yourself your first cup of coffee in the morning. No, I'm only joking. It, it takes a little time. See, we all have liturgies. We all have things that we do in the morning. So today we're gonna to be talking about the liturgy of mealtime. And, and, and I'm really gonna need you to, to the, everybody in the first service was angry at me. I could tell, I could see it in their faces. They were like, the nerve of you to get into my meal time, you know, just keep your Jesus at the front door. And so, but if I could just get you to consider the possibility that maybe even mealtime could be a, a liturgy. Um, and, and immediately, I know that some of you are thinking about the difficulties. There's, some of you, I, oh, I just, I've got ESP, mine, I can tell, some of you are like, there's no way mealtime's happening in my house. We got too much going on. Well, what I wanna challenge you today is, is, is the other thing that's challenging your mealtime more, really more valuable to you than the power of mealtime? Uh, and, and that's what we're gonna discuss. And, and there's a verse in the Bible that talks about the importance of coming together. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Now, this is usually a verse that a pastor uses to make you feel guilty about not going to church enough, okay? I'll use it at another time in a very guilt kind of way, but not today. Today, it says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. There's something about the gathering together that is powerful, that not only is needed in a church, but it is definitely needed in a family. It is definitely needed in friendship, and it's definitely needed in a marriage. That there's a point where you, that, and what happens, we get so busy, we give up the getting together part. We're too busy for dinner. We're too busy for breakfast. We're too busy to get together. We don't, we're just too important. And soccer is too meaningful to our family that we, we miss everything. And so the scriptures begin to talk about the power of us coming together. And I want you to consider, just because you do something the way that you're doing it and you've been doing it for the last 45 years of your life, would you possibly consider that maybe you could do it better? Okay, and so... Getting in the front door is a really difficult thing with people. That's why it says in the book of Revelations, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Because he knows if he could get in that door, then real change could happen. But it is hard to get into the habits of a person as they do life at home. But today we're gonna to be talking about it. See, meal times have the power to be one of the most important moments of the day. And all cultures see it as an expression of communing. We commune together in a meal uh, to close a deal. You know, if you want to sell somebody on something, you'd, you'd do lunch together. If uh, you want to restore a relationship and lift hostilities, one of the best ways to do it is to show that you really want to know somebody is that, or you want to forgive somebody or reconnect with somebody is to have a meal with them. If you want to develop intimacy with somebody, um, it is very powerful, and that's why when we go out on dates, 
we will go out and have dinner together. When you're sitting across the table for somebody and you have time while you're waiting for the entree to come and you're talking to each other and you're sharing your life. But we, we use the table as a place of safety, a place of agreed upon communication. It's not weird to talk to each other while you're having dinner together. So it's culturally throughout the world seen as a place of more than just getting a bite. The, when we're living in managed mayhem, that's what the mealtime becomes. I just gotta grab a bite and I gotta go. I don't have time and we're just grabbing a bite. But really mealtime has the power of something far more than uh, consuming. It has the power of communing. And there are num numerous studies that have been done by Christians and non-Christians alike. TED Talks, you can Google it, about the power of mealtime. So it, this isn't just some Jesus thing. This isn't just some, this is not a Paul thing. This is something that has been, studies have been done. And it's funny, studies about how to help kids get better in education, how to keep kids off of drugs, how to make a marriage work, how to lower the suicide rate in a town. And it's interesting how mealtime pops up as one of the most, the greatest deterrents of it. It has been proven to increase the likelihood of a successful marriage by 50%. In families, it has big payoffs. Um, 1.5 times more likely to have uh, a better relationship with your mom than if you have a meal with her. You are twice as likely to have a good relationship with your father if you have a, a mealtime with them. You are twice as likely to have a good relationship with a sibling if you have a scheduled mealtime together. Children are more likely to score A's and B's in school if they have a regular mealtime with the family. Kids are more likely not to get involved in high-risk behaviors such as drugs, drinking, tobacco, violence, and suicide all if they just have a mealtime at home. To think of all the things that you're trying to do to keep your kids off of drugs or to keep your kids out of trouble. And there's mealtime just sitting right there. But for too many of us, we're just too busy for mealtime. Or we've chalked it off as some sort of leave it to beaver 1950s America type of thing. When we're, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're giving up one of our most powerful liturgies of life. An interesting study was done about Rhodes Scholars because we're trying to figure out what makes a Rhodes Scholar. Um, one of the, the one thing that Rhodes Scholars had in common was they came from families where they had mealtimes. Interesting commonality. Um, scripture uses the expression of mealtime and the metaphor of mealtime together as the culmination of all of time. You know, when you think about the end of the world and you, you, know, you get caught up in the Antichrist, kind of talk, and yeah, I'm not really all into all of that. Um, it's like, well, how can you not be into that? You're a Bible guy. It's like, no, I don't know if we're right about our interpretations about what all that means. But when you think about it, it's like at the end of the earth, what's going to happen is that we're all going to be walking around like warriors when we get up into heaven. We're going to have big wings. I see you're a big wing guy. You have big wings and you have this mighty sword up in heaven. We're all going to be walking around. You know, no, no. Let me show you what it says is going to happen. Um, it says, blessed are those who have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's like, wait a minute. 
Okay, so you're telling me at the end of the age, when all of it's gone down, God's going to go, yo, come on up here. We got vittles up here. We're about to eat. I want y'all to wash up. No, wait a minute. You've already been washed up. You need to come on up, sit around the table, and we're going to have a meal together. That's exactly what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And why would God use the picture of a meal as the ultimate expression of intimacy? See, this is, this is powerful. It's like apparently God knows something about the power of a meal. The scripture uses the expression of mealtime together as the place of receiving strength during hardship. Psalm 23, 5 says this, O Lord, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. You have prepared a table for me. It's like this idea that in the middle of hardship, we don't need to become distanced from each other. We need to gather together. This is when we need supper or dinner time or breakfast together more than ever. The crazier culture is, the more you have enemies in your life or difficulties in your life. He's like, okay, God's like, well, no, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna build this giant castle around you. Or what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you invincible powers. We're back to the mighty wing guy again. We're gonna give you mighty wings. It's like, no, here's what I'm gonna do in the middle of your hardships. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna prepare a table for you. I'm gonna prepare a table for you. It's gonna be fabulous. I mean, it's just gonna be beautiful. We're gonna sit down and we're gonna have dinner together. It's like, really? That's how you counteract hardship? Yeah. But for a lot of us, we are just gonna grab a bite to eat and that's how we live our lives. Scripture uses the expression of mealtime together as a place of forgiveness and belonging. I mean, Jesus is about to die on the cross and he's about to go to heaven and he leaves us an institution, or we, we call it a sacrament. It's kind of like one idea that expresses the big idea. It's like, what's it gonna be? Again, wings on this guy here. You know, big wings, big swords, big, this is what it's going to be. He's like, no, I want us together, and this is gonna be called the Lord's Supper. See, we haven't been thinking about mealtime the right way. Everything comes back to mealtime, even in the metaphors of Scripture. The Scripture uses the table time for the most important conversation. If you were raised Jewish, there was the Passover Seder. There was that supper that they would have, and they would tell the story of the exodus and the freedom that they experienced from Egypt. It was called the Magid. During the mealtime, they would eat and there would be food and all stuff, and then there would be the Magid. And at that particular point, during the Magid, there would be the father or the mother of the family would tell the story of the Exodus, that the story would be told again, the most important stories. Because when you're going throughout your day, you're experiencing a lot of stories. You're experiencing failure, success, arguments, conflict, wins, losses, failures, all kinds of things are going on, all kinds of stories. Their story, your story, the Republican story, the Democrat story, the American story, the male story, the female story, the single story, the marriage story, the parent story, all these stories, every one of us, and that they would come back to the table for the Magid, the reading of the story, the story that makes all other stories manageable and all other stories 
livable. And that's what they would do. It was in scripture that mealtime was used that Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. To do what? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. Again, Jesus with the eating. I mean, it's like, what's up with the eating thing? See, and I want you to see that scripture, um, no pun intended, is like, he doesn't leave it on the table. I mean, it's, it's all about the table. It's all about mealtime, that there's something powerful about it. And we've seen that from not only from psychology, but we've also seen it now from the scriptures. I would say that mealtime is what you could call a keystone liturgy or pattern of the daily life. And what do I mean by a keystone? Well, this is where it gets fun. I like this part. Keystone is a word that we get from architecture. You've probably seen one of these. Well, um, a keystone is a wedge-shaped stone that is put in place at the apex of masonry arches that hold all the other stones together. I mean, you've got all these other stones, and then when the keystone is finally dropped in place, all because of tension and pressure, the keystone holds all the other stones in place. And this is actually a 2,000-year-old arch that's in Spain, and in, they did not use any concrete or iron to hold this together. This has all been held together by the power of keystone. And so when we think about when we think about mealtime, we see it as a keystone liturgy. It has been proven and experienced to hold it all together. You're going your way, she's going her way, the kids are going their way, and, that, and you go out and you live your day. And then we get frazzled and all the stones end up all over the place, don't they? When they become teenagers or when your husband's out playing golf for four hours or you're, doing, you're working, you're doing surgery on somebody and, and then you're kind of like, everything's just disheveled. And there's this like one liturgy that kind of brings everybody together. It's amazing. God created us biologically in need of food. So he creates a little timer in the biology of man. It's like, I'm gonna make every one of them hungry at least twice a day. Their stomachs are gonna make noises. It's like, what is that the signal? That's not the signal of consumption alone. It's the signal of needing uh, community and communing together. And see, and then the mealtime can be this time when all the stones come together and are locked into place and um, experience restoration. See, mealtime needs to be the norm to be missed. I know that sounds phraseology-wise, that sounds kind of weird, but mealtime needs to be the norm to be missed. Um, and and, and that's, that's really important. See, right now, it is missed all the time. That's the norm. That, hey, yeah, we, tr- we try to do meals together when we can, but, you know, the, it's not normal for us to have it. We want to make it so that it is normal. And then what you got to do is you got to weigh... Is soccer, do your kids get more from soccer? And I'm just using soccer. I'm sorry, don't mean to use soccer. I mean, I'm not villainizing soccer. Uh, you know, I'm more of an American football kind of guy, you know what I mean? But, you know, are we using sports? Oh, my kid needs to do sports. I'm here to tell you 
There is no psychological study that shows you that every child needs sports. I can show you that there are psychological studies that every child should have a meal time, not just food, but a time sitting with mom or dad or just a mom or just a dad, but that's so beneficial. But we've made all these other things so important that we just shift, um, we shift meal time away. So I don't want to over-romanticize this because mealtime can be messy. Um, and I will tell you this, family dinner or breakfast together, mealtime, is not practical, okay? It's not practical. It's like it takes too much time. Oh, absolutely. It's a mess. Oh, yeah. There's preparation. Mm-hmm. There's cleanup. Absolutely. But you got to ask yourself, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to, are you trying to grow a family or are you just trying to grow people? Okay, I mean, you can have a field with stuff growing in it and busting down walls. If you're cool with that, you know, party on. But if you're looking to grow something with all the benefits that we've learned psychologically and spiritually from it, well then, yes, it's not going to be practical. It's going to interrupt. It's, it's um, uh, and, and, and let me just say, it's not about making the best meal. It's about creating a community. It's about creating your community. These are your people. It's about, you know, and too many of us won't do a meal time together because what are we gonna have? Who cares? I'm serious. I, I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how many times that I have had Cheerios at 6 p.m. I mean, Cheerios are good at any time of the day. I mean, you should try them at 11 o'clock while you're watching reruns of Star Trek. I mean, it's just, they're absolutely, you can have, it, it's, it's a full balanced meal. You can have Cheerios and it's just amazing. It's like, it's not about the Cheerios. It, you can have paper plates so that there's not a lot of cleanup. You know, you can do Hello Fresh. You can swing by and pick something up from the local Chinese restaurant and bring it home. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be great every day, but it has to be together. That's where it happens. It happens when we come together. Um, and maybe your life is, it's not going to be dinner, it's going to be breakfast. Cool, no problem. Maybe you're into soccer. We've got some people here that are into soccer. Their kids are more amazing in soccer um, and they're into soccer. No problem. Uh, then breakfast. That's, then it needs to happen at breakfast. For most of us, it's not going to happen at lunchtime, but it needs to be the norm. Remember, our family habits will not change God's love for us, but God's love should change our family habits. You know, I mean, these little kids should matter to us. My wife, matter, I mean, when I wake up, I want to get out of bed. Here's what I want to do. I want to get out of bed. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read the Bible. I want to go downstairs. I want to jump on the Peloton. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's so funny um, because in the Peloton, I want to get down there because the people from London are still working out on the Peloton at that time. And then there's usually like this pretty hottie girl. And she's, uh, if you've ever done the pilot, there's hottie guys too. So if you're into that. So, but that, and so it's like, no, I want to get down there and I want to ride with, um, I forget what her name, Olivia. I want to, and she's cute and precious. And she's just like, man, good morning. You're looking beautiful today. Let's ride our ride today. Here we go. We're going to do some hill climbs. I would love to ignore the rest of the world 
and just do that. And then I think about it, is that what I want to grow? Because it's not what I want to grow. So what the morning looks like is after a moment of prayer, as I go down, make my coffee, me and Susan said, our, our meal happens in the morning. That's our meal. And we sit there and we have a, a meal together, our breakfast together. It's little Thomas's uh, English muffins. Um, it could be some yogurt. It can be just about it. It's not about the food. It's about the moment. We talk about our day. We do our little devotion together. And then off we go. It doesn't have to be hard. So what do we do? Well, in the habit of it, let me get real practical, is that signal the beginning of the meal. So when you get home, let the, everybody know, hey, we're going to be eating at 5.30, all right? Hey, uh, Johnny, I'm going to need you off the switch. Uh, just know you've got 15 more minutes, and then you're going to come help me set the table. Uh, it, it, so you started announcing to the family that I'm pr we're preparing to have this, that this matters. So you give advance notice. It really doesn't work real well to all of a sudden kick in a 17-year-old's door and say, come on down for supper. You know, now you, you can kind of fluff the pillow a little bit, all right? You can you know, say, listen, hey, want to spend some time together as a family? Hey, I know you're busy right now. Uh, plan on 30 minutes. We're going to be eating together. I want everybody down there. Oh, mom, really? It's like, no, 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 we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to do this. At, at, and so you uh, begin the process of preparing. Invite people to prepare with you. It's okay to have a four-year-old stir the batter. Ireland comes over. My granddaughter comes over all the time. There's all kinds of mystery objects in our pancakes. I don't know what those objects are. All I know is she found them on the counter, and they ended up in the pancake batter. I know she's eating it. She's flinging it, and it's going everywhere. But it's like, you know, you're making a mess. It's like, am I making a mess, or am I making a memory? Am I making a mess, or am I making a family? Am I creating a community? I mean, that's what we got to figure out. What are we really doing? Is this worth doing? Um, light a candle. It's not like light a candle for Jesus thing. Uh, I mean, you can do that. Nothing wrong with that. But it's not, I'm not trying to get highly spiritual. There's something about a candle. I don't know about you guys, but all of a sudden, my wife will light a candle. It was her idea that around supper time, there's this little candle and she'll light it. And I'll come in and I'll be all like snotty and messy and, you know, like not wanting to do anything, you know, kind of coming. All of a sudden there's a candle and it's like, all of a sudden I become an Englishman. You know, I remember when I said, hmm, the candle. I see the kind of candle burning, you know, and the vanilla hits my, my uh, olfactory. And I'm like, well, this is, it's like, oh, what's going on? With, what do you do when you see a candle lit? Oh, wh what's going on special here? And Susan will like, say, us. We're what's going on. We're what's special. It's like, oh my goodness, you got me. And, and so, um, uh, so that's one way to prepare. Also, turn off the TV. Having dinner or breakfast while you're listening to Fox News is insane. It's insane. You, none of you, none of us are so important that we need to watch TV while we're having mealtime. That's insane. The world will wait for you. 30 minutes later, it will still be stupid and crazy out there. You can get back to it anytime that you want. Turn off your phone and put it on the table. And if you are an Apple person, take off that daggum watch or silence it. 
Because I know, I know, you put your phone over there, but all the time during the meal, we're eating, all of a sudden you're like, it's like, what's up? Oh, nothing, nothing. You know what? Okay, get you one of these. Okay, $35 on Amazon. It's, I don't even know, oh, it's a fossil. Okay, it's got these weird things. It's got like hands that go around in a circle. Okay, it goes around. I mean, so you need your phone to beep your butt and then you need a, a watch to tap your wrist. You got to take all this stuff off. Let your kids see you. Because the reason why your 15-year-old can't live without their phone 24-7 is because you showed them life cannot happen without your phone. So you take dad, mom, take your phone, put it over there. Say all devices, all weapons, you know, leave your nine millimeter over there. You know, all that stuff, leave it right over there. And you come to the table. And what you're telling everybody is, this is the most important 15 minutes of my day. Man, that will build the kid up. That will heal a marriage. Then pray over your, uh, not only over your marriage, but the unpacking of the day. Now, during prayer time, if you're gonna hold hands, which is cool, you have all these, it's called epidermis, all the skin, and it's crazy. Wacko God put like nerves on the end of almost every square inch of this human body. But what do most families not do? Touch. Just like, Think about the last time you touched your 17-year-old. Just think about it. Ladies, think about the last time you touched your husband. So allow supper time to be a time when you will hold hands. Well, we're not a holding hands family, you know? It's like, you know, really? I mean, it's like, what are these for? I mean, you only make money with these? These are not for touching my family with? Just grab hands. But if you can't grab hands because it's too anxious you get too anxious with it. Okay, breathe deeply and just let it go. But there's got to be a point where you just, it's going to be crazy. If you have a four-year-old, if you have a seven-year-old, while they're, they're, they're going to be pulling each other around the table while they're holding hands, or they're going to take your hand and they're going to wipe it across their nose. It's all good. It's all good. I'm telling you, dinner time will be messy. That's okay. Let there be the passing of the meal and let it begin the cascading of, of things that you're thankful for. So when you're getting food, make it kind of a family kind of rule that when you take something, say, hey, you know, thanks, Mom, for making the chicken, and I want to thank God for what he's done in my life today. It's like, hey, as you're taking something you're thankful for, just share something. Let everybody share. Let the four-year-old share. Let the 84-year-old share. That's when it gets a little scary. Okay, I've got to be honest with that. <laughs> I know I'm soaring there at a rapid rate, but I remember when my mom was 90, and uh, I don't think she remembered when she was 90, but uh, she, uh, she only had a little bit of faculty of thinking left, and God bless her. She was a wonderful woman, and every time we'd had mealtime, she'd tell the same story every single meal over and over again, and I remember we would or when we'd pray, she would pray, and, and you know, we were pulling each other back and forth, and we're rolling, and the kids would be laughing, and, and, and old grandma would be praying. It's like, hey, listen, this is your table. That when we're, when we're on top and when we're, we're not winning, when we're, when we're at our best and when we're at worst, this is your table. When you're young, you're, this is your table. When you're old, this is your table. 
when you're single, this is your table. That this is your table. Allow everyone to share their day. Mealtime is not a place for lecturing. This is where my pop initially lost. He did a great job last 10, 15 years of his life. He was amazing. But what happened, well, there was eight kids. Can you imagine mealtime with eight kids? And seven of us were boys. So, okay, so mealtimes were just like a wrestling match. And so, but what it ended up becoming was interrogation time. It's like, ball, did you rotate the tires and change the, uh, the flashing around the house today? I'm like, I'm 12, man, give me a break. But he would interrogate every single one of us. You know, what'd you do at school today? I'm, I'm, I want you to rethink something, please. Maybe supper time's not the best time to talk about grades, okay? Why do you want to spend 15 precious moments, 30 precious moments talking about why Junior did not get an A or a B or a C or a D on that exam? Do you really want, is that what you want to do here? Is the table a table of performance? Or could you say, hey, how'd your test go? It didn't go good. Oh, all right. Uh, we'll talk more about that, you know? Um, and then handle that offline someplace else. But what normally happens is we're dealing with this right here, right at the table, in front of your siblings, in front of crazy grandma, and in front of your neighbors who are visiting us today for dinner. I mean, it's like, and I remember it was like, Oh my goodness, I can't stand dinner time. So it's not a place for lecturing. Um, ask questions about the other person's experience, not their performance. So what can happen at a meal time? Because I want you to kind of think about um, what we're going to trade here. Uh, what can you get from a meal time? Because I'm putting it against gym time. Because you may think, well, gym time is the most important thing I need to do. Or you may be thinking about uh, um, soccer is the most important thing I need to do. Or going to have drinks with the friends afterwards is the most important thing. Uh, so what is the benefit of mealtime? Well, one, it's discovery. It's a time when you discover people, your people. It's a time when you find out about them. You know, parents, you always say, I don't understand my son. I don't understand my daughter. It's like, well, okay, maybe you need a mealtime. Sounds like you need a place where you let them talk, where you shut up, you know, where you ask questions that bring them out. Um, so it's a discovery time. Do you, got, do you got a better time to do this? I mean, this is pretty cool. How about this one? It's a time when you're retelling the most important story. This is a time when you talk about God. This is when you talk about love. This is when you talk about, what, about Jesus. It's also, dinner time is a place where you develop interpersonal skills. See, I really believe that um, interpersonal skills are developed at dinner time. And the reason why so many young people today can't talk is not because they're stupid. It's not because they're less than. It's because people like me considered making a buck more important than spending time teaching my children how valuable they were, okay? 
It's at supper time you learn how to have conflict. You learn how to interact. You make eye contact with each other. You have a conversation. See, if we're just, if it's all about grabbing something to eat, then we're raising a whole generation of kids where the primary, where kids are supposed to first learn about communication is at mealtime. Most of us are not having a mealtime. So they're not learning to communicate. So it's like, well, I, I got to have Snapchat in order to have friends. It's like, why? It's because I didn't learn how to communicate because we never talked. We never had a place where we learned to make eye contact in an environment of value and safety and, and interact. Um, it's a place of collaboration. It's where we learn to work together to make things happen. We develop skills together. Kids learn, I don't care if it's a four-year-old, and I'm, I'm using Ireland because she's kind of, I'm learning with her right now. She's four years old, but she will, we have a special stool for her that we set up in the kitchen, and she'll come up and she'll, uh, she'll like, uh, Grandma, I want to help. Uh, you know, can I help? And she'll, she'll grab things and it'll make a mess and all that other stuff, but we'll be like, here's the napkins. Put the napkins on the table. So she'll go in and she'll put the napkins and, and Grandma Susu will show, well, let's put them on this side. I don't, I don't know which side it is, but put it on this side and we put the knife on this side. We put the fork on this side. And then, and so she's setting the table and collaborating. Together. And then when the t we're done with the meal, it's like, Ireland, will you carry the butter to the kitchen or whatever it is, uh, the Cheerios. Will you carry the box of Cheerios to the kitchen? And we collaborate together. I collaborate, we all collaborate together. Where do you learn collaborative skills? At home. At home. It's a place of decompression. It's a place of affirmation. It's a place where we affirm. It's a place of restoring belovedness and connectiveness. Being seen. Um, combine that with, it's a place of pushing back cultural ideologies. You're out there getting flooded with different viewpoints about life, all kinds of ideologies. You're just, just getting rained on by it. But it's, especially with children, it's a great place where you can push back on some of the, guess what we learned at school today? Guess what my friend said to me today? You know, hey, this is what everybody's doing. This is the place where you get to have the conversations about the ideologies that they've been learning all day. The dinner table or the mealtime table is a place of safety from harassment or during harassment. Remember what the Psalm said, that he makes a table for me in the presence of my enemies? We can't make all the bullies go away. I wish we could. I wish we could make the world a better place. You can at your table. You're not gonna be changing the Republicans and you're not gonna be changing the Democrats and you're not gonna be changing this group or that group and you can't, dad, you can't go to the elementary school and beat up the bullies. You'll get arrested for doing that, okay? You can't control everything, but you've got to have a place where your seven-year-old, your 12-year-old, where your 17-year-old comes to the table and they can be safe from harassment, and, and, and just, maybe you can't change the world around them, but you can give them a place that they know every single day they can go and share what happened to them. It's a place of consistency in an uncertain world. That's the most powerful thing. People will say, well, listen, um, 
Pastor Paul, what do you think is going to happen? You think China's going to invade Taiwan? Do you, you think, how you, what's going to happen with Russia and the Ukraine? And Pastor Paul, do you think this is the mark of the beast over here? And Pastor Paul, what do you think of so-and-so getting elected president? And what you say? Listen, I can't control any of that. And, and yeah, you're right. There's some scary stuff out there. I can control my table. I can create a mealtime, a place where no matter whatever goes on in the world, that when these kids come, when my wife comes to this table, when my friends come to that table, there is safety. There is safety at the table. Uh, you have complete control of that. But too many of us are not using this moment because we've chosen gym time to be more important, your gym time more important than this moment with your kids or with your spouse. I tell you what, me having six pack abs will do nothing compared to me spending a half an hour having breakfast with my wife. She won't even care what my abs look like. Mealtime is a liturgy. It's a place where we go and we can cast vision for our marriage and for our children. And I know some of you are like, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be casting a vision for my children? It's like, I just had children. No, you're supposed to be casting a vision for your children. You're supposed to see what they're good at, what their talents are, what their personalities are like. And you're supposed to be start, start inspiring them towards things. Well, I just, I want them to be whatever they want to be. It's like, <laughs> who does that? I mean, it's like, that's crazy. It's like, no, what you do is just move them in the direction of their skills and their talents and their giftedness and their temperament and help, then offer them the ability or structure to, to choose from any good thing that they could do with their lives as opposed to leaving them unguided. I mean, it's like at supper time. It's when we're talking about, you know, my daughter would say, yeah, I started dating this guy. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, what's he like? You know? Well, he's good. Um, he's got a job. Well, he, smells, he sells weed on the side. It's like, okay, okay, I'm going to help cast a vision here. You know, I, I, I'm serious. And you, you talk about what do you want out of marriage? What do you want? What do you want to do? You want to be a meteorologist? Cool. Let's see what we can do to get you involved in meteorology. I'll get you down. I did. Literally went down to Channel 5 and uh, with uh, Bill Walsh. Is that Bill Walsh? Yeah, Bill Walsh was Channel 5 the way. I took my daughter. She wanted to be a weather person. It's like, okay. We're going to go meet Bill Walsh, and we're going to go in and watch him do the, the weather. And it's, like, it's like, what is that? That's all vision casting that happened at the dinner table, where you say, hey, you begin to cast a vision for your kids, for their future marriages, for their, and you have these conversations. Where else are you having these? I mean, where else? They're 17 years old. They don't want to talk to you in public. I mean, they want Snapchat. They don't want you, Okay. It's like, no, um, their stomach twice a day by the good graces of biology will begin to rumble. And I know they can, they can manage a phone, but they're hopeless when it comes to food. They cannot, they would die if it wasn't for somebody providing them with a meal. But we're just giving this away. So I went through a lot there, okay? And I got in your business. And I know that doesn't feel good. 
I'm not trying to make any of us out to being bad parents, but we may not be parenting well. And it's okay to admit that you're, I'm not doing this right. That's okay. I've made, I've told my wife, she married five different men. Um, the guy I was when I was in my 30s, the guy I was when I'm 40. I mean, every decade, I've been a different man. And hopefully, every time I've made adjustments, I did not assume I was doing it perfect. I always look for a better way. And there's a better way to do family. And you say, well, I'm not married. I'm single. You can be intentional about your meals. I've been single twice. I know what it's like to all of a sudden have a table and then lose the table and to be left all by yourself. I still lit that candle. Uh, I still set the table because I knew I was not alone. I knew there was God with me. Um, I reached out to friends that were going through the same things that I was going through. And we had communion together at the table, not the bread and the cup of Christ, but we, we, we shared. We talked about our shared losses and our shared dreams. We, we, we don't have to be alone. Stop what scripture says. Stop forsaking the gathering of yourselves together. Stop giving up on mealtimes. Let it be a time when you come together. I know a lot of you, and some of you have impressive jobs. Some of you are surgeons and doctors and lawyers and manufacturers and engineers and responsible for thousands of people. You're building airplanes for Boeing. You're, you're running your own, you know, um, small business together. You're selling multi-million dollar houses. You're, you're caring for people. You're providing a service and, 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 and all that wonderful stuff that we're doing. And you're working on your doctorate or you're trying to get through college and all that. None of it, none of it says that you're too busy to stop for 15 minutes with the people you love most and have a moment of community. There's nobody here that is so, there is one person, um, and I've, I found that one person. There's a woman here that she works for organ transplants, okay? Her job is that when somebody dies, they save their heart, keep it alive, or I don't, not keep it alive, but you know, put it on ice, and they gotta get it to a, another person real fast. She's the only profession I can think of that they might want to keep their phone at the table. Maybe want to keep their phone at the table. But let's, the rest of us, be honest. We can take it all off for 15 minutes to connect with our seven-year-olds. Our seven-year-olds are desperate for us. Our friends, our spouses just need a few minutes of our time. We need a few moments of their time. So as we're going and closing the service out with the Lord's Supper, this is a time where we come back to a table of bread and wine. Of, isn't it interesting? And there's something about when Duke Communion, the sermon's okay. I mean, it's okay. Music's good. I mean, I think Ricky does a good job. But there is something about when I take the bread and the cup and I eat and I drink, 
that I feel like I have closure. Like, okay, me and God are good. It's like, we're good. I mean, I, I pray that he forgives me for all my sins throughout the week. But, you know, it, it seems, I know he forgives me. But there's something about when I have supper with him that I feel like, good, he still wants me at the table. He still loves me. So that's what we're going to do here is connect with communion. But God wants you to have this kind of environment at least once a day with the people of your life. Father, thank you so much. You do stand at the door and knock. And the crazy thing is that you want to come in and have supper with us, meaning that you want to commune with us. God, help us. As we come to your table to receive mercy and forgiveness, as we come to your table to remember that we belong, that we have a table, that we have been welcomed, that we are safe in a harassed world, there's always the table that has been set in the presence of my enemies. I always have a table to go to. It is the table of your mercy. Help us, God, to replicate that table, whether we're married, single, whether we have children, whether we're grandparents. Help us, Lord God, to create that space of belonging and love for our people, for our family. 